we've been talking about personalization for years, right? Um, and truly, there's really no reason you can have something personalized. But along with the relevance, um, you need to have really the context around it. That's Jennifer Barron, Director of Information and Analytics at Infilion, our sponsor on this episode of the Today Podcast. Later in the show, Custom Talks with Jennifer and Liz Weinstein, Vice President of Marketing, also at Infilion, about prioritizing customers' immediate context over understanding the channels consumers frequent. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. And this week, Kaylee and I had one of our, what is it, twice yearly now episodes where we do a live podcast recording during the Digiday Publishing Summit. And this time we had Joseph Najim from Thomson Reuters, who's the Director of Programming Partnerships, as well as Blair Tapper from The Independent, who is SVP of the U.S., and we talked a lot about brand safety, which is obviously a huge topic for news publishers, especially heading into in a presidential election here in, here in the U.S. Yeah, so brand safety for news publishers, it's been a topic that I think we've been covering for years, years and years. It's an ongoing issue for news publishers, and uh, I think we kind of get into that topic on stage with them. But uh, yeah, I mean, earlier this year, both Joseph and Blair were really great resources and chatting with publishers about what they've been doing to try to mitigate some of these issues when it comes to programmatic revenue. And on stage, we kind of do a check-in with them and uh, get that kind of presidential election spin on the issue as they head into 2024. It's definitely a topic that, while it might not seem like a lot of progress is made, it's still very much top of mind for news publishers. Absolutely. So here's the conversation with Blair and Joseph and Kaylina at DPS. Enjoy. Hi. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's your last one? Uh, yeah. Kamiko McCoy, who's our senior marketing reporter, she's going to be taking over for me. So I can focus more on video stuff. So, yeah, I guess that's a little bit of news. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, uh, you guys get the first news of that. But, um, yeah, so we're going to talk about brand safety, news content, um, which we kind of teased a little bit earlier today. Um, but it's a big topic because we have a big news year coming up. Definitely. So I think when we were doing this prep call, Tim, you made the point, this conversation has been going on for many years. Um, news is flagged as not safe. And that's a problem, right? Um, so I guess, how do you guys feel about this current issue? Has it gotten any better? Has it gotten worse? Yeah, I'll kick off. So thank you again for having us. Honor for the last podcast as well, Tim. <laughs> um, you know, from, from a Reuters perspective, Reuters is the largest news organization in the world. We both have our consumer business as well as the wire business where we're providing a lot of publishers in this room with news content globally. Um, you know, if we're going to put a timeline to it, at least when I started my ad tech career, this really began for me as an issue when I was on the buy side in 2016 when the election was picking up between Trump and Hillary. And we saw um, 
advertisers are concerned with running content on Breitbart.com. Next thing you know, you saw Double Verify IS springing up with their brand safety solutions. And since then, you know, basic keywords like Trump or politics, news, whatever it might be, has continued to perpetuate. And we're seeing the effects of from 2016 and maybe some other practices from before as well, but continue to pick up. So we're still in a very opaque position of understanding fully you know, why are these solutions being used from a media buying practice perspective. But what I will say is there's a lot of momentum and dialogue around recognizing, hold up, it's important to support news as an advertiser with our media dollars, but how can we do that in a way that is practical for us and is going to you know, better the news environment and support journalism, freedom of speech, democracy, right? So I went from practical to being very philosophical in like two sentences, but those are the discussions that we're having right now with a lot of advertisers. Blair, you seen that moment? Yeah, and I think, so we're a global brand. The Independent um, started in the UK. We have a massive reach here, and I think for us, it's sort of, what is news, right? And, and we've talked about this. You know, I think as, as agencies and buyers, people are like, okay, that's a lifestyle site, that's a sports site, that's a news site. And all of a sudden, you could have coverage of the US Open and it's being flagged as news. And I think news gets a bad rap. And I think most people could agree with that. And I think as a community, we can all say there are things in our world that are really violent, really disturbing. And I don't think any of us would say, oh, you, you, you should definitely surround that. That's awesome. You know? But I think we have to sort of have this dialogue to say, we get what's scary. How can we work together to have those guardrails? And so um, I always say it's like the white elephant in the room. Like, let's call it what it is. Let's figure out how we can give those assurances to our partners, direct from a programmatic standpoint, and, and really work with our editorial teams to make sure that they're understanding the challenges that we're facing so that we're creating meaningful content, um, content that of course we want our readers to access and have the ability to make decisions and, and learn about the issues out there, and also you know, have support from, from everyone in the industry to do so. Yeah. This question of like what is news is an interesting one, obviously it's a huge yeah. question, but there was, I think it was a Pew Research Center study from like a week or two ago, I don't know if you all saw this, but where Gen Z and teenagers, I think it's like 60% of the political content that they access is through non-news sites yep. as opposed to news sites. So it seems to like kind of get at your point of you could bucket publishers as news, but they may not be the actual content exactly. providers. And I think we, we see that all the time. And I think it really is about you know, this idea of, of putting these labels on things. But if you really are, are saying, OK, we want to surround sport or you know, climate change is really important to us. You know, the way that everyone consumes news isn't necessarily, you know, flipping through a, a print newspaper where all that content is there. So it's really about what are you trying to reach and, and sort of what partners are creating that, that valuable content on, on whatever platform. Yeah, I, th I think you bring up a great point with Gen Z and teenagers, right? It's an audience that a lot of advertisers are looking to target. In other research, for example, the Reuters Institute, we partner with Oxford and we released similar studies where we're trying to identify what is the consumption of news. What we've identified is that audience cares about truth, facts, right? Like that, that's very important to them. So whether or not they're getting it on TikTok um, or even our sites, and I see this all the time where news influencers on TikTok are using you know, trusted, reputable sources to talk about news and educate people, that's fine, right? Like they're getting that consumption, but the inverse of that is you have advertisers in their media briefs saying, we wanna target Gen Z. 
what a better environment than entrusted, reputable news environments where they're looking for that type of content already if they're coming to us, whether it be in our omni-channel approach, on our strategic off-platforms, or on our site. Trust and combating misinformation should be in the mindset of any media planner trying to target those audiences because that's how Gen Z is moving towards. They want that trust. They want that fact check. And, and Yeah, I mean, we, we look at, you know, we're constantly talking about trust and credibility, and it's certainly not a knock to any other news publisher out there, but we all know there are more sensational, more, more tabloid, tabloid publications, and so there is a difference. Um, and yes, we can get clumped into them all in sort of one Excel document, but I think it is really important to differentiate and say, what is this credibility and what is this authority? And we actually used a study from Ipsos which looks at how advertisers and, and their brand advertisers are trusted by consumers on site that actually consumers trust. So if you're reading or consuming advertisements on a site that is trusted, that advertisement is more effective. And so we have great results with that on the independent because people do trust that advertising because they're seeing it on a trusted source. And so I think it's important, and, and you know, I'm not saying let's throw, throw the whole news category away and try to you know, recategorize everything, but I do think there's nuances. And as an industry, we need to really start thinking about how we can support news in a way that's effective and move away from this sort of mass bucketing because it's really detrimental. I, look, not only to, to news publishers, but it's causing advertisers to miss out on, on massive pockets of reach. Right, and I think one of the things that we had discussed is that very high traffic days don't necessarily correlate to high revenue days because there was a lot of blocking, right? And I think one of the examples that you had given was around the um, Titan submersible, yep. right? That was a very high traffic news event. And it wasn't really flagged because it was... Correct. No one knew it was going to sink. Right. It wasn't, wasn't on a block list yet. Right. Yep. So how, I guess like maybe giving some examples of yeah. high traffic that correlates to good revenue, high traffic that absolutely doesn't but audience is still there. Like Those are right. still valuable eyes. Right. And I think you know, as we approach the political cycle, this is really important because we all know there's going to be surges on our traffic. So even if, you know, as, as partners, we were to say, okay, political is a no, there's going to be sort of the byproduct of, of excess traffic on the site. Um, you know, another one we just saw was, was around the US Open, actually, um, when Coco won. And we had advertisers blocking shot, right? But it's... It's a tennis shot, not a bullet shot. So I think you have to sort of have those conversations and say, hey, we know this event was important to you. Are you, you, know, are you willing to open up that keyword targeting? Because the reality is, if that then is safe, we can see anywhere between, you know, for us, three to five times X on a CPM, but it's also much more valuable for an advertiser. Like everyone wanted to surround that story. That was like marketing, marketing gold. I mean, no one did it as well as New Balance, but we tried to at least differentiate between a gunshot and a service shot. So. Yeah, I think other key moments in very recent history, right? If we go back to 2020, COVID, Wuhan, these were all keywords I really picked up in March of 2020. And in that case, everyone was talking about it. So even your lifestyle brands, there was some sort of capacity where that was being talked about. So that was just the news, and that was being blocked, right? So we saw traffic spikes that went up, but revenue went down. You know, fast forward a little bit, you went into May of 2020, I believe that was the correct date, but George Floyd, right? Mm -hmm. Murder of that. Black Lives Matter movement picked up. Another keyword that started to be applied to these keyword lists, and those were being blocked. So there's always, you know, it seems to be a cycle where brands will move to block things, 
because they need to re-prepare the message of how they're going to go to market with. And I think in the case of COVID, you saw brands kind of hit pause and say, okay, we want to go back to mo the market with community message. They never went back to the blocks that they were putting in place to say, now that we have this community message, how do we get it to places where people are looking for information and facts and get it back? So those messages were going to places that you know, weren't necessarily news sites, and um, you know, we didn't have that opportunity to have that dialogue. And you continue to see this happening. I think most recently, outside of you know, the Titan submarine, you're seeing a lot of climate change affect the news cycle right now with the floods, earthquakes, all these things that are happening across the globe. And then you're seeing reports on advertisers jumping into creating new segments around blocking climate change. It's kind of the inverse of how advertisers are also talking about sustainability and their efforts with it. So it, there's almost a little bit of hypocrisy that's taking place there where they're trying to say, hey, we're supporting something, but at the same time, we don't want to be surrounded around the news that's really affecting them. Right. And I think it's about nuancing, right? So you can say we want to block something that would have graphic images or violence, and that's, that's our job as publishers, right? It's to not blanket everything the same. It's, it's to put different sort of parameters in place against the content so the brands then who are connected to climate change can support stories that are, are teaching and are, you know, funding this cause as opposed to just sort of this, this mass blanket. And I think that's what's happening. And I think, you know, human to human, we can all say, of course, we understand the nuances. And as publishers, we understand the nuances. But when the buys are getting set up, it's getting blocked. Because at the end of the day, it's one of many. And I don't think there's enough sort of due diligence to say, you know what, we see a difference in this type of news and that type of news, or this type of story and that type of story. And so um, what the block lists are, or what, you know, it's the it's same story, different day, basically. It all just sounds like so much work. And I mean, work for good reason. Like obviously Kaylee and I are in the news business as well, and so we would like news to be supported. But at the same time, when I talk to folks on the buy side at the agencies, they're saying, it's just easier for us to just say no news because then we don't have to understand these nuances and figure out what are the right blocks to put in place. And then we don't also have to make sure that we're maintaining those blocks or taking away those blocks later. It can just be so much easier to just say, you know, we're not going to do news because we're dealing with enough when it comes to TikTok or Meta or X or Google and what's going on there. How do you address... Because it feels like that's one of the things that would need to get addressed from the sell side, yeah. is how to make this all easier for the buy side. Because right now, it feels like it's too easy for the buy side to just say, of course, never mind. Yeah, and I, I think the ease of execution you know, even begins if you're speaking programmatically within the demand side platforms, right? I, I think back in 2016, the, the block of politics and news were just combined, right? There was no delineation, it was very black and white, and it's like, what did that mean? What does that mean even today? Is that still the same setup? So it's very much a check of the box, and it's not just keyword lists. You know, you're talking about blockers from a pre-bid perspective, as well as monitoring tags, blocking tags. So there's so many layers that are put on our display business, our video business for our site. But you bring up these partnerships with Meta, X, et cetera, where they're having tough dialogues around brand safety, brand suitability. It seems like we've been forgotten on the news side where we're not peeling back the onion a little bit to say, why is this the strategy? I think because of the momentum of a lot of these events where brands are talking about their you know, diversity and inclusion strategies, their sustainability strategies, news is starting to get bucketed into that, right? It's kind of bringing in the philosophical a little bit. It's like, hey, we need to support freedom of speech, journalism. How do we do that? Okay, our media dollars. So who do we need to go to top down, bottom up? 
is it the media planner at the agency? Is it the brand safety specialist at the advertiser side? Those dialogues need to be opened up. It shouldn't be a scare tactic first and say, hey, no news, let's protect our jobs, let's protect the brand. It should be very much, hey, how do we support this initiative to support news through our media dollars from the media plan brief that's sent out to what our CMO is even saying at the top and why we're doing this as an initiative um, to support holistically. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. I'm Christina Ko, Senior Editor at Custom, Digiday Media's in-house agency. In this podcast, Interstitial Story, sponsored by Infilian, we speak with Jennifer Barron, the company's Director of Information and Analytics, and Liz Weinstein, Vice President of Marketing, also at Infilian, about prioritizing customers' immediate context over understanding the channels consumers frequent. Jennifer Barron shares an example of the importance of relevance and taking a consumer's context into account when serving them ads. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we've been talking about personalization for years, right? Um, And truly, there's really no reason you can have something personalized. But along with the relevance, um, you need to have really the context around it. So the example I like to give is to you know, see things from a consumer perspective is when the coronation of King Charles happened, I ended up waking up at 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday and just started streaming it on my phone. I was literally just kind of in bed going, okay, this is fun. But when I texted my friend to ask if she was watching it as well, that stopped the stream. So I got up and I'm embarrassed to admit all of this, but I got up and I went into the living room, turned on the TV and watched YouTube and it had no no ads. But I also started doing multiple things at the same time. So I'm on my phone, but I'm also watching the YouTube and kind of, you know, multitasking and checking things out. And then once the ceremony was over, I switched to BBC, which did have the ads. And what was fascinating to me is the ads I was served was for pet food and medicine. And I'm thinking to myself, you had a perfect opportunity to serve me ads for British Airways or Burberry perfume or, or, you know, ads for a historical period drama. And it's really about understanding and following people and knowing the context of how they're consuming information. On top of delivering relevant, personalized ads, consumers want the same when it comes to in-person experiences. Liz Weinstein, Vice President of Marketing at Infilian, discusses what consumers are looking for from brands to get them to return and keep buying. So going back to understanding the customer and the consumer, it's really interesting to think about how young consumers actually crave in-person experiences more than the brands actually think that they do but they show up expecting more than just an opportunity to purchase. Um, They actually want these these stores to provide more. So for example, I know that REI had built these concept stores with a focus away from commerce to be more community driven by hosting workshops and consultations. So they're really bridging that gap between the products and that raw environment in which they live. And ultimately, it comes back to this idea of connection that we've all craved. Um, As we mentioned, the consumer journey is not linear at all. And I think once you get to the advocacy stage, like that REI store example, people might buy products that are mountain gear or whatever else they're interested in. But if you can get them back into the store because they're providing so much more to them, then that's really going to keep the customers coming back. 
You've been listening to Liz Weinstein, Vice President of Marketing, and Jennifer Barron, Director of Information and Analytics at Infilion, our sponsor on this episode. And now back to the Digiday podcast. How do you feel about like getting bucketed in and as one of these kind of side earmarks like diversity? Because on the one hand, that can be advantageous because then there's budget set aside for that. On the other hand, I know from talking to minority-owned publishers, they have a conflicting relationship with getting bucketed that way because then it's like, well, then we just have this smaller pot of money that we're really competing for. And also, there's just a horrible track record among advertisers of actually living up to those pledges. Executing a lot of this. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what a lot of this comes down to, right? Like, a lot of these companies have, you know, diversity and inclusion or they're making sustainability claims. And then when it comes down to it, they're saying, well, we just want, you know, Cheap CPMs or right. massive, re- or whatever you know, whatever it may be. And so I think, look, we are, we've been really clear in market that this is who we are as a brand. These are the values that we stand for. And if that's something that a brand believes in, and I do think, you know, we all know there's industry leaders and industry followers. So there's going to have to be industry industry leaders, agency leaders, people who say, you know what, I'm going to create a POV for an agency, and I'm going to explain, you know, to all of these teams that trickle down. What are sort of safe ways to work with news, to support news, to support diversity, to support minority-owned businesses? Like, this is, these are conversations that we have to have. You know, this is the world we're living in. It's constantly changing. And I think to sort of go back to just saying, block all this, block all that, it's really sort of rudimentary when so much else has evolved so quickly and there's been so much more development. It seems like this bit has stalled. And I think that's frustrating because... It is a great opportunity. It is a great audience. And all those sort of points that we're alluding to across the board um, can actually add value. So it's, it's, it's frustrating. And I don't think the entry points for dialogue have to be sustainability, diversity, mm-hmm. inclusion. I think at a broader level, a lot of advertisers are discussing supply path optimization. You know, everything that's taking place with the news about MFAs, right? How do I ensure that my ads are running on premium content? Mm-hmm. Well, news, journalism, premium content, right? And we also have a highly engaged audience based on the data when they're coming to those sites. Um, So I think it's important to just find the areas that your client is having the most challenge with, whether it be programmatically or even direct. Because I think the dialogue of a direct client coming uh, coming to a new site and saying, hey, we want to do more with you. What is the best approach when even creating custom content? Who better than that news team who knows how to create custom content, whether it's from the editorial team, which in some cases it isn't, but the business team that's building that custom content still tries and follows the same editorial integrity as that newsroom as well. So we're being consultative. We're trying to support. Um, so really, it's again, it's finding those entry points to create and spark dialogue to then come out with actual tangible activations that have business outcomes, right. good ones. And usually renewable ones. I mean, exactly. we've, we've had you know, a lot of brands who've come to us and they've seen continued success. So you know, we're really grateful and thankful for our partners who've trusted us to navigate the news landscape. And I think there's, there's so much more that we can do. But you know, I say the renewal is, is more important than the initial sale because we want to prove our value. We know we have our work cut out for us. We want to make sure we're hitting you know, not only uh, the deliverables of the campaign, but, but audience insights that are valuable too. And so I think as news publishers, we're really aware that, of, of the stigma. And so a lot of times, you know, my colleagues and I, I think we're going above and beyond to optimize that user experience to make sure that there really is a, a high ROI. It is certainly not you know, set it and forget it. 
So is the solution here just all direct campaigns, all direct deals, you know, programmatic, guaranteed, or is there a way to fix some of these issues that seemed like just, yeah. if not laziness, just like ignorance around buying news? I think the best way to you know, combat against ignorance is education, right? So that, that's, that's why it's important for us to have even these types of dialogues with our peers and publishers that, that, that are here. But getting this message out to both publishers, ad tech firms, vendors, et cetera, I think everyone who I'm speaking here with, you know, they, they share the same message where it's like, it doesn't make sense. Like, why, why is this taking place? And I think, you know, it's a combination of the both, like, right? We, we would love to see in the high traffic periods the opportunities to to monetize indirectly via programmatic pipes. But in the same vein, like we want to be able to create media plans for clients where they have a new specific strategy or they just are like, yeah, we're going to run on news. That might go programmatic guaranteed. That might go direct. But what we don't want happening, which has happened, is we get through a whole RFP process, which takes time and resources. And at the end, someone goes to review and says, oh, you're a news site? We actually have a no news policy. Oh my gosh. So we just went through that whole process of curating, creating something that we know is going to have successful business outcomes for you, and you're just shutting it down based on this policy. And we have the opaqueness and lack of transparency understanding. Why is that? And if it's coming from an agency level, and we say, well, can we speak to your head of brand safety or the brand? We're typically shut off. So we want to have those opportunities to have those dialogues, to open it up and say, you know, consider us. And even if we're putting all this work in, how can we get it activated? And at least you start testing and learning. And I think programmatically, you know, a PMP, there's no guarantee. It has been a great sort of test and learn um, execution for us. We're able to say, you know, please trust our data. Please trust our targeting. Please trust the guardrails we're putting in place. Um, run, run programmatically. And if you see success, if, you, if you're seeing conversion, let's move that to, you know, something that's more premium, more direct, um, you know, maybe a, a custom solution from there. I think, obviously, and this is a whole other conversation about, you know, the programmatic ecosystem, but... If a client's appending 18 blocking tags and we're applying 18 brand safety filters, there's going to be one impression. So that one impression is probably not enough to, to justify a partnership. But if you can sort of say, well, these are sort of cross-cutting and X isn't really Y and this is apples and this is oranges, um, it actually opens up, I don't want to say the floodgates, but it opens up the pipes for an actual collaboration that's meaningful. And I think we have, we've seen say, you know, that success and that justification to then move towards a more committed partnership and a more you know, renewable partnership. It still sounds like so much work, though. Much work. Especially like when you're having to deal with Reuters individually, the independent individually, because then that's also a lot of conversations, like to the point around the platforms, like a lot of the similar issues with the platforms. But then you can kind of, as from a biocide perspective, concentrate your conversations of, yeah. well, I just have to deal with the meta problem, or I just have to deal with the YouTube problem. When it comes to news publishers, it's which of these news publishers is kind of worth my time to have to deal with and which can I just write off as, eh, it's news, I don't want to. I think, you know, Joseph and I have talked a bunch since um, the last conference, the DJ conference in Vail, and I think, you know, for us, it's finding like-minded publishers also to sort of support this initiative because if, you know, Joseph has a meeting and he bug, you know, puts a bug in someone's ear and I have a meeting and we're talking to someone else, we're all sort of saying the same thing in different ways. And yes, you know, he's at Reuters and I'm at the Independent, but, you know, we're talking about that quality and trust in news brands. And, and there's a group of us. And so just like, you know, agencies can sort of collaborate together and go to market with a strategy, I think publishers have to do the same. And um, instead of being competitors, like there's room for everyone in the sandbox to support these same goals. Yeah. If, if you go back to a couple years ago when Trade Desk launched their Open Path solution, mm -hmm. first publishers to execute with them, Reuters included, were news publishers. Right? The message was we are looking to support 
news and journalism through these direct integrations. So I think it's you know, continuing to get buy-in from big partners like that and the demand side to you know, support this initiative. And I think they recognize that as well, and they don't want to um, you know, not support news, but they also, I think, need to continue to drive with that message um, and should it just kind of go away. Um, and that's important, right? Having a partner like the Trade Desk or even like a, any other buy-side platform that recognize this, puts this into their media plans, into their, you know, codex of how they activate or what is best practice, um, you know, it's important. I, I, I think it is, you know, it's, it, it's important what you're saying. Like, it seems like a lot of work. Yeah. It is. And I think it's also a lot of work on the publisher side, too, because if you think about our sales force going out into the market, when this conversation comes up, it takes a lot of, you know, brain effort to really challenge your client on this position. Again, it's practical, but then also very philosophical quickly. So it's something even internally that I think we have to get our teams on board with, you know, upskilled to say, okay, when you face with a challenge like this from the advertiser, say we're blanket, full stop, no news, what do you say? How do you approach that? Um, and yeah, it takes work, it takes effort, but collectively, you know, we're, I, I think this year has been a big year where we're seeing a lot of movement of these discussions, of these dialogues, and you know, you know, a lot of this and why we're discussing this new, preparing for the election next year, the worst case is, we, you know, we don't want to see that happen again where people are just blanket block, blocking politics when we're really coming up on, you know, a big news cycle and there's a lot of initiatives coming related to this election and a lot of important things that I think of brands who want to have a message around purpose too want to tie themselves to. So don't alienate news when, you know, you can really find an engaged audience that's going to complement those messages that you're trying to deliver on. How's that going for you, OpenPath? How much money is it bringing in? That's a good question. Um, from an OpenPath perspective, I think like any indirect source, it's kind of a consortium, so we just look at it as like one package. I think it's important to have a relationship with an organization like the Trade Desk because of their, you know, ability to have a lot of, um, you know, power. <laughs> yeah, it's called power, connections in the space and relationships, Money. but yeah, however you want to look at it. But, you know, it's, it's not like an anchor for us, you know, it's not something that I'm going to say. Does it increase the spend that you're getting from Trade Desk? Um, I would say most of our partnerships with Trade Desk come from a direct side. Okay. We're, we're more of a programmatic guaranteed shop first because of our ability to control the layering of the brand safety. So it's not going to scale as much from like a private auction or non-guaranteed side of things. Um, so yeah, I, I would say our goal with Trade Desk is really how do we get their clients into a PG environment first and foremost. So it's like a open path is basically a feeder system for you in that point? Yeah, we get insights in who, who's buying our content, okay. our supply. So it's helpful but not necessarily meaningful? Both. Okay. <laughs> it is helpful and meaningful at the same time. It's just, it's not, it's not core to our business. And not increasing the spend through Trade Desk. From an advertiser side or? Yeah, like if you looked at, you know, how much money Reuters was getting through Trade Desk pre-opening up OpenPath to when you started opening up. It's to nominal, you know, compared to what we would have with the direct relationship with PG partner. Yeah, I'm, so thinking of partners in the space, right? Like the verification firms, maybe the demand side partners. Is there momentum? Are these conversations yielding positive change that's lasting beyond the initial conversation? Like what's the kind of go forward plan and how have they been helping or maybe not? We have like another 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, I, uh, look, I think, and, and you know, we were alluding to this, the election's coming up. And so instead of sort of pretending it's not or pretending there's not going to be volatility in the news cycle, we're all sort of out there. It's, it's the initial question in a meeting. You know, we don't want to hide behind it. We don't want to get down an RFP process and have someone say, oh, we don't work with news. So it really is sort of addressing it. 
Um, and, and look, those vendors are out there. They're selling to publishers, they're selling to demand providers, they're selling to agencies. Um, and so I think it's sort of figuring out how those tools can be useful, um, what integrations we can have on, on, on site, how that works with buy side uh, triggers, and, and just really having that open dialogue. You know, it's, it's, we're not gonna solve all the world's problems, obviously, here, but um, I think it's all about communication and, and sort of not not avoiding it, right? We just have to sort of say, hey, this is a problem. And if we do these three blockers on this side and these three on this side, it's not gonna work. So let's talk about actually the audience we're trying to get, the conversion we're looking for, and go from there. But um, there's a lot of players right now. There's a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And so it's sort of just figuring out how those can all work together. And, and again, if someone finds comfort or value in using a partner, um, it's important to us as a publisher, a publisher to sort of validate that and support that data and, and prove it out. You know, it's not about um, trying to recreate work that's already been done. I'll get one last question because I think we're over time at this point, but it's my last podcast question, so there we go. <laughs> um, a year, like to your point around the sh you know, shot as the keyword around Coco Golf, mm -hmm. had a similar conversation at this exact event a year ago. Someone came up to me and we were talking about how mob was getting blocked, mm. which also meant any articles that had the word mobile in it on their site Amazing. was also getting blocked. So exact same conversation a year ago. Is there any one piece of evidence that each of you can point to that would give me any hope that we wouldn't have this exact same conversation a year from now? You don't now? want to do this again? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kaylee, you'll be doing it with yeah, you. Kaylee, yeah. oh, I like it. You, you punted it to me. Um, no, I mean, it, I, yeah. It's, it's, uh, we might, right? And I, I don't think it just stops with news partners as well, right? We, we, we saw, um, I think it was Group Black this past week just announced a partnership with Double Verify in the work that they're trying to do, right? Like the, the keyword term black, right? Black Lives Matter, that has an impact to that entire business because they're talking about these movements, they're talking about these initiatives. Same with news. And the news cycle is consistently going to change. We have from precedent back in 2016 and 2020, or to, excuse me, every election after that, um, you know, Trump, it's a big keyword that people put on as well. So we're coming up into an election cycle where, yeah, that's going to probably be talked about, even whether or not he is on the ballot, right? Um, so I don't think we'll stop talking about this. You know, it's a dilemma, right? There's no solve for it directly, but it's good to continue to have these dialogues because it gives us that opportunity to strategize with our clients, make advertisers aware, um, and whether or not it's something like mob or, you know, I, I heard like SE was accidentally put on someone's keyword list and any Amen. word or any time the letters SE popped up, wow. it was also blocked. So it's, it's kind of hygiene for advertisers to look at these things that they're doing, look at their keyword block list, are they appropriate? Also, are they effective in what they're really trying to do? Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I think you know we can all laugh because we realize like how absurd it is. And so then it is okay. Is someone from this going to go back and say, you know what? Let me look at that keyword list. Let me try to clean it up. And I will say, as publishers, um, as as industry vendors, um, there's there's advancements being made. So the hope is that you know the keyless blocks from 2016 aren't used, and there's an advancement in terms of. AI, which is a whole other conversation in terms of you know, other technology sources and, and sort of different ways of categorizing sites um, from a URL perspective um, as opposed to a keyword perspective from segmentation. So there's a lot of different ways that if people can move away from blocking the word Trump outright or COVID outright, I mean, we're going to be able to move the industry forward. And so hopefully we'll be having a different conversation. Um, but I think it's ongoing, and I think 
we just need to take a look because, of course, no one wants to block SE or mob or shot. You know, it's just, it, that's, that's what we're dealing with. But I think by calling it out, it's, it's the first step, you know, awareness. Okay, so we're just, we're at the first step. We're at the first step here still. Time. No, but we're, there's, there's so much work being done. And, and I think the, the advancements truly that brands are trying to apply to, to their targeting and working across the board, for, not just for news overall, will help hopefully put less uh, pressure and less focus on those keyword lists. So that's not all they're going out with. Awesome. Well, that's all the time that we have. But Blair, Joseph, thanks so much. Kaylee, thanks for being a great podcast partner. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.